welcome to the Dead Darlings podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney. I'm Laurie Eaves. And I'm Hannah Hutzber. Dead Darlings is a monthly podcast for the spoken word community. Each month we'll be bringing you interviews, tips, inspiration and above all awesome poetry from the spoken word scene. We'll also be telling you what's on and where you can submit your work. Guys, this month we're only going and interviewing Dean Blooming at her. And we will also, as well as interviewing Dean Atta, we will be hearing a poem from Jake Nathan. And we'll be giving you a sneak preview of our book review episode where we'll be chatting about Witch by Rebecca Tomas. And that episode will be out later in the month. But first, what have you guys been up to? I have not been up to very much at all uh, in the way of poetry. So I'm going to move swiftly past this question. But October is the month of National Poetry Day, um, as our listeners probably know. I think it's this Thursday as of recording, which is 6th of October. It probably won't be by the time we're out. Yeah, I usually know when people st- people start talking about it on Twitter, and that's how I find out. It's it's like the clock's yeah. going back or something. Yeah. And then you go, oh shit, have I got anything I can plug real quick? Oh, have I got anything I can cobble together for yeah. National Poetry Day? Yeah, no, <laughs> it's, um, friends. Classic. it's this Classic. week as of this recording. The BBC Six Music uh, have had a series, well, just across all their programmes at the minute. They're doing quite a lot of coverage for National Poetry Day. Um, they've been doing some pretty cool um, shows. I think there's some shows going out this week that involve Craig Charles and John Cooper Clark and um, other different poets going on. Um, that sound really cool. Um, the BBC Radio 3 have had The Verb just did a special from Birmingham Hippodrome with uh, Casey Bailey and a load of other cool poets. Um, Amazing. From the Contain Strong Language Festival, that's been going on. So I haven't been to those things, but listening to the radio has been quite nice this month because you you tune in thinking <laughs> you're going to have music and then it's just poetry. It's been great. I've been very much enjoying it. So um, that's that's me. Hannah, what have you been up to this month? So, um, in broad terms, the dog ate my homework. Um, <laughs> I, um, if if I can get Look, it's real... autumn now. We've all been out in the the in the falling leaves doing s- not snow angels, but like feeling, feeling inspired, leaf deciduous by leaf angels, mess, mists and mellow fruitfulness. Um, yeah, no, I I have been um, honestly going through the ringer in a br- bunch of non poetry related ways. Um, and so I have not really been attending much or writing much. Um, as part of getting better, I have started going to the gym recently. And genuinely, I think moving around is starting to like dislodge some ideas that were a bit dormant in my brain. Mm. So I'm feeling slightly, slightly more inspired-ish. Um, but I hosted Insight, the monthly LGBT night that I, LGBT plus night that I host online mostly. And the feature act that we had is someone who I'm very excited about. So I'm just going to give a tiny plug that J.P. Seabright um, mm. is a... I think I saw their first ever live performance towards the end of last wow. year. But they've also already been in something like 50 different publications. Their run um, rate is phenomenal. I see them they, posting about it and I'm just like, yeah, how? They are <laughs> incredible. They, I think basically it has. they have not been writing for a long time, but they started writing, paused for ages, and now they are like a rubber band that was pulled back and is now going ping! Uh-huh. Um, and they are just incredible. They've got uh, two solo collections, one uh, 
uh, the joint one, Gender Flux, yeah. with yeah, um, Gender Jonathan Flux. Kinsman and another Jem, writer whose name is currently escaping me. Jem uh, Henderson. Um, and they've also got Jemins. one called No Holds Barred with a very sexy looking cover, um, which mm. is entirely one sort of one narrative book across okay. across the pamphlet. Um, and the other thing I wanted to shout out about is I had an absolutely lovely approach from a um, poet called Hannah Harding, who was doing a master's in poetry on the topic of mudlarking. And I have done and <laughs> performed one poem about mudlarking, but was lucky enough to have uh-huh. muddy feet in the audience when I did that, and therefore it is now a video as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have apparently cornered uh-huh. the market in poetry about mudlarking. So she she wanted to interview me and has now done a um, incredible soundscape, um, like video and a pamphlet um and it's called we who collect and if you go looking for it um you will hear my voice while i mumble from my couch about what i think about <laughs> which is the process of trying to find uh cool historical it's like historical beachcombing on the banks of the thames so that that was kind of cool to be like oh i'm i'm an authority figure that the youth are seeking out that, that feels quite cool <laughs> it's also reminded me that um muddy feet kind of Muddy Feet mm. Poetry, the video channel, kind of rose from its slumber uh, last Thursday, I think it was, for Muddy Feet Day. Yeah. I think they were calling it, of uh, just reposting all their videos and uh, mm-hmm. celebrating that they exist. So that was quite a nice thing to to see happen. Yeah, it's interesting because Peter kind of announced a little while ago that sort of basically he was going to wind Muddy Feet down and sort of go a bit dormant with it. You know, maybe not do anything, maybe, maybe in the future, but, you know. Uh, so, yeah, so, yeah, very suddenly... Uh, started getting pinged, um, just being like, mm. "Oh, look at all these nice videos you've got!" And uh, yeah, which is <laughs> yeah, it was a nice little reminder. <laughs> yeah. Um, How about you, Rebecca? Um, so, what have I been up to poetry-wise this month? Um, I went to a uh, writing session that Laurie set up, um, sort of mm. just doing a yeah. sort of feedback thing. <laughs> yes, you, Laurie, and just kind of feedback on writing, which was really helpful, uh, really useful. Um, so that was great. Process Productions was brilliant the other week. I uh, went to that and yeah. So Demi Anta was featuring and Sarah McCready and I met Demi Anta for the first time um, uh, a few weeks before that. Uh, um, so the wonderful uh, L. Dylan Reams uh, ran the marathon last weekend for a local charity and because her kind of her fundraising wasn't going as well as she'd hoped she was like okay well I will just get a bunch of my friends together and we will do a poetry night um at uh, the Young People's Theatre in Islington um and it was always it was it was poetry it was theatre it was basically she has massively talented friends and just went yeah everybody come along and do your thing so uh there was Demi um who I met for the first time there who was absolutely lovely Tyrone Lewis kind of uh some musical theatre guys there were uh, there was a kid doing drag and I, I, I cannot tell this kid must have been I would guess uh, 13 tops and he was fantastic uh, and can cool. walk better in heels than me which I sort of said what made you what made you get into drag and the response was well RuPaul's Drag Race it looked amazing and I thought <laughs> I'd give it a try and I was like this is you are awesome kiddo like the kids are alright guys um, mm-hmm. but that was just really nice because obviously Elle um, if you don't know her work she's just she's this lovely warm brilliant performer and yeah she just brought people together for a really great night and it was it, that was fantastic um, so yeah it's been it's been not a bad poetry month for me mm-hmm. and then my big exciting thing is I've booked for 
this month coming up. Verve Poetry Press have started doing a quarterly night at the Glee Club in Birmingham. Oh, yeah. Um, and the one coming up, they've got Selena Gordon, they've got the Repeat Beat Poet, they've got Elizabeth McGune and Priyanka Josh and Sam J. Grudgings is hosting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought, yeah, I've got leave to take. So I've booked, I'm going to go up there for the yeah. afternoon, watch the thing and then come back down the next morning. So Sounds that's going to be lovely. Yeah. Nice. So yeah. Mm, um, cool. So yeah, that's kind of been our months. Hope yours have been all right too. Should we do an interview? Let's yeah. do an interview. Ooh. This month's interview is with Dean Atta. Dean Atta is a British author from London. He is a Malaika's Poetry Kitchen member, National Poetry Day ambassador, and LGBT Plus History Month patron. Dean's poems have been highly commended by the Forward Prizes for Poetry and shortlisted for the Bridport Poetry Prize and Oxford Brooks International Poetry Competition. His books have been praised by the likes of Bernadine Evaristo, Benjamin Zephaniah and Mallory Blackman. Dean's debut poetry collection was shortlisted for the Polari First Book Prize and his novel in verse, The Black Flamingo, published by Hodder Children's Books in 2019, won the Stonewall Book Award and was shortlisted for the Silip Carnegie Medal, Jalak Prize, Los Angeles Times Book Prize and Waterstones Children's Book Award. His second novel, Only on the Weekends, also published by Hodder Children's Books, came out in spring 2022. His second poetry collection, There Is Still Love Here, is out now with Nine Arches Press. Dean, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to chat to you guys. Thank you. (laughs) We're excited to chat to you, Dean. I would like to apologise to listeners. We do try and go for diversity on this podcast. We seem to have had two Greek Cypriot poets on in a row. (laughs) Um, But they're both amazing. So what do you want? (laughs) (laughs) and very different i'd say (laughs) yes yes absolutely dean uh did you want to kick us off by sharing a poem with our listeners oh yeah i'd love to um so this poem is called on days when and it's the first poem in my new collection there is still love here on days when you feel like a wilting garden gather yourself roll up your lawn bouquet your flowers Embrace your weeds. You are a wild thing, playing at being tame. You are rich with life beneath the surface. You don't have to show leaf and petal to be living. You are soil and insect and root. Nice. There you go. (laughs) Gorgeous. Lovely. The earthiness of that was just like, We usually uh, start by asking all of our guests, how did you first get into poetry? Um, I got into poetry from maybe the age of 14, 15, as a writer. Like, I, I mean, I always liked poetry to read and we did write poetry in primary school. So like, it's not like poetry wasn't around mm-hmm. from a young age. Um, and we used to have in primary school as well, like a, a competition where you had to like remember a poem by heart and like recite it. And you, if you won, you won the Beaver Cup and I won the Beaver Cup. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> and I was doing a lot of acting as a kid. No, Why, sorry. what? Oh, I didn't think Sorry. <laughs> Bring the tone down. Immediately. Cup oh, wow. very impressive, but also slightly dirty. Dragging the tone down, Hannah. Gosh. <laughs> Something is on Hannah's mind. Um, <laughs> that's never been on my mind. So, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I started writing poetry to kind of, 
figure out some stuff as a teenager. So I knew I was gay or I, I thought I was gay and, and was just kind of like figuring out like what that meant for me. And I also am mixed race. And so I used to write about my kind of mixed race identity. My dad wasn't around. I used to write poems about not having a dad. And like these weren't things I could just kind of start chatting to my friends about, even though I had good friends. I've always had good friends, but there's still reticence to talk about stuff that I'm still figuring out. Like even as now, like even now there's, there's things that I'd rather write about it first and figure out how I feel and what I think about something before I'll share it. So that's exactly what I did as a teenager. I wrote poems about my feelings. And then if I thought it was like, okay, I showed it to a friend. And then it kind of was like, we could talk about the poem itself or we could talk about the the issue that the poem brought up. Um, And some of my friends were just like, oh, this is great. You should do an open mic. And so I just started doing open mics at um, kind of like 16, 17. Um, And yeah, kind of from there, it, it kind of just the world of spoken word opened up to me and I just got involved. Because when you go to one open mic, you receive flyers for many more, uh-huh. or you used to. Flyers have sort of fallen out a bit, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now it's add me on Instagram and I'll tell you where the events are. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, but in the good old days, we used to get flyers. And so I just kind of traipse around London and go to any poetry event that, that sounded all right. And um, yeah, it just kind of felt really... Um, welcomed by the spoken word community and felt like yeah anything goes in those spaces well almost anything and um yeah I I never felt judged and I always felt welcomed and and often I felt like people understood me so that was really um what kept me coming back for more poetry and spoken word and were there um, any particular nights you were going to a lot when you started out um Yeah, I remember going to Poetry Unplugged at the Poetry Cafe. That was like one of the first ones I went to. And I went to um, Farago. And then I used to go to um, quite a few kind of in Brixton. There was one at the Bug Bar. Um, I can't remember what it was actually called, but it was just really cool. And I used to go to things that were run by Selena Gordon and and nights that were run by um, a a guy called Fenzwan, who I don't know where Fenzwan is now, but like, yeah. And I used to run with these guys called Three Plus One. um, And they were like, um, I I bumped into one of them actually yesterday, um, a guy called Darwood Grace. and, And they were really like, really kind of like, treated me like a little brother and like kind of mentored me and um and Carl Ramsey another one of those guys kind of got me into helping him run workshops and you know even just when I was starting out myself as a teenager like I was given opportunities to like kind of co-facilitate workshops or go into schools and do like performances or you know um because I just said yes to stuff like I was just up for it like so yeah and a lot of English teachers go to spoken word nights and if they like a, a poet they'll be like will you come into my school inspire my kids they need a young black role model like you <laughs> and you say here's my I do now but in the early (laughs) days yeah it was like kind of just whatever was on offer and I was just really excited for those opportunities and so yeah I I did a lot of free gigs I did a lot of kind of even workshops for free and you know commissions that were unpaid but it meant things got out there and my name got out there and you know I don't recommend that to people now but I think for me it was fine because I lived with my mum you know like um so she was supporting the dream and you know the dream came true so <laughs> thanks mum <laughs> it's uh 
It's, it's uh, funny you're talking about, you know, uh, being a teen and being uh, somebody who's going into all these schools doing workshops and things like that. I feel like the name Dean Atta is maybe even more recognized in schools now because yeah. your, um, your couple of uh, verse novels for kids, The Black Flamingo, Only on the Weekends. Um, I haven't mm-hmm. yet, I admit, I haven't quite got around to Only on the Weekends yet, but I've read The Black Flamingo and it's awesome. Uh, oh, thank so you. Um, my, my wife's an English teacher and she says, yeah, everybody's been reading that one the last couple of years. <laughs> yeah. It's really nice to yeah. see that that's happening. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, about uh, your writing for kids and particularly writing for kids entirely in verse because those novels are mm-hmm. novels in verse, aren't they? Um, I was wondering yeah. if you could tell us a bit about what what possessed you to write <laughs> novels in what verse for teens thinking? and how does it how do you make it work because <laughs> somehow you're getting things to read novels in verse yeah i mean it was it the black flamingo in particular just felt like the book i was destined to write but it took a lot of people convincing me i could do it because you know i i had written one poetry collection and even though you know it's got some like a risque title and some risque subject matter that was even being used in schools. So I'm nobody's nigger like that, that poem and that collection, you know, was being used by some teachers who were very brave (laughs) to to kind of like dig into like the the topics because it really kind of looks headfirst on, on racism and also is very, um, you know, unashamedly, you know, gay and talks about going on grinder and things like that. So like, I was surprised to hear that was being used in schools, but I thought, well, let me write something that is like intentionally for teenagers. Cause mm-hmm. I think um, the Black Flamingo is a book that's about a teenage character. And, you know, he is going through a lot of the things I went through as a teenager, but he's doing so in, in more accepting times, you know? Mm. So when I was at school, we had section 28. And so you couldn't have a, a kind of LGBT books in school. You wouldn't have teachers coming out and you wouldn't have them talking kind of positively about, you know, um, gay relationships mm. and, and, and things like that. So, I, you know, missed out on all that, but now young people have that um, going on and they have LGBT clubs in schools and and a book like mine was very welcomed into schools. So I knew I had a story to tell about, you know, a boy coming of age, coming out and kind of the the kind of magical ingredient, I guess, was the drag um, element of it. So a boy doing drag in his teens and um, the metaphor of the black flamingo came to me when I visited family in Cyprus and um, we saw a real black flamingo and it kind of just represented everything I um, felt I was, you know, like, um, you know, being black and queer, you you sometimes feel like you don't fit in, but you also feel extremely fabulous <laughs> and special and unique. You are extremely fabulous and special and unique. <laughs> so that was it, like, and I just ran with that metaphor. I wrote poem after poem and eventually you know, with my agent and then eventually an editor, we saw that there was a a story rather than a poetry collection. Um, So we kind of just worked that story out and kind of found a narrative through it and, you know, took these kind of experiences, some of which I've had, some of which I invented, some of which I'd borrowed from people I know and brought them into this narrative of, you know, Michael growing up, coming out and then discovering drag. And um, yeah, it was really fun to write. It was a bit of a jigsaw puzzle, like in terms of putting it all together. But then, you know, we, we kind of finessed it at the end and made it all like you can't see the joins. <laughs> um, but I, I love that, you know, the kind of page turning 
of it like because every couple of pages could be its own mini you know episode mm. and that's the good thing about novels in verse and the ones I've read before kind of finishing the Black Flamingo you know so I was kind of had the idea but I was like how do I do this properly and so I read like the poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo mm. and Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds um and a, and a few others that that kind of really do it well and I was just like okay I can see how they're doing this and it's just about staying you know with the with the protagonist and really staying in their truth and and kind of you don't need to go beyond them most of the time you should kind of like go forward with their perspective and stay within their mindset and and their emotions and and just make the reader really feel like they're in that person's shoes or high heels um <laughs> with michael <laughs> so that was that was it just kind of staying true to to this boy's journey and um yeah making them really root for him you know the readers and and it just yeah came together and it was yeah, I, I and once it was written, I was like, wow, like it was like a fairy tale version of like what I wished my childhood had been. And so that was really special as well, because it was like a gift to myself, <laughs> to my younger self as well. Cool. Yeah. And so so did it start as you had some sections as kind of standalone poems and then you kind of fitted them together and sort of, yeah. Definitely, the definitely. Like, yeah. yeah, like the Black Flamingo sighting that's in the in the in the book is like, the real sighting I had and the real conversation with my grandfather. Mm. And so, you know, he says, why does it matter that he's black? The other flamingos don't care. And I'm certain what he's saying is I love you. And that was kind of like the, mm. what I got from it. I was like, when, when my grandfather spoke about the flamingo that way, I knew, I knew he was like talking about more than the flamingo. And mm. it felt really like a special moment for us and uh, a moment of understanding. Um, and, you know, that could have been a lot of projection on my part, but <laughs> I, I'll stick with my version of events. So your granddad's um, getting all the credit for, for this book then. <laughs> yeah, the book's actually dedicated to him as well. Um, so, you know, it says for George. I don't say for granddad. I just decided to say for George for whatever reason. But mm. um, I didn't even call him George. I called him Bapu, which is the, the Greek word for, for granddad. But when I was being cheeky, I'd call him George because I think it's always kind of slightly cheeky and rude to call an elder relative by their their first name (laughs) but I was always a bit cheeky like I meant to call everyone auntie this uncle that and I just call people by their first name and I'm I'm told I'm just like rude and 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 Britain has ruined (laughs) 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 you know because my family they're from Cyprus and they're from Jamaica and I feel like you know that comes through in the Black Flamingo Mm. as well that kind of being between different cultures and societies and and kind of like um, knowing your heritage, but feeling somewhat slightly removed from it as well. Mm. And um, yeah, and I, I kind of like use that with, with, with the character of Michael and him, like sometimes, you know, like going into the Jamaican like patois and sometimes going into the Greek um, and if not speaking it himself, like hearing his grandparents speak it and, and kind of like feeling like, that's a part of him but it's kind of like slightly not his um it's kind of like removed by a generation or two so yeah I think and a lot of young people can relate to that whether they have another language or or kind of like have things about their 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 family that they kind of feel that they can't quite access um and because a lot of families yeah don't necessarily talk about everything mm. <laughs> and that's the simple way to put it um or don't even speak the same language and that can be literally or, or figuratively um and so yeah I found with with young people and 
older people that read the book, they find themselves in it, even if they're not gay, even if they're not black, like they find something of that kind of like feeling different that they can relate to with Michael. Mm. Do you find when you're writing for kids, you kind of have to adapt the the way you're writing in order to connect to them? Or do you write sort of differently when you're writing for adults to kids? Or does it all sort of start Um, in one place? I guess it's the narrative voice is what's quite important. So like the the character's age kind of defines the way they see things. And so as the author, I might see, you know, a lot more than, than the character sees. And then an adult reader might see that stuff too. And a teen reader, depending on their lived experience, will will know if there's more going on or not. But um, I think I try and stay with the perspective of the character. So if they're naive, like there's a naivety to the voice and to the observation of what's going on. And then later things might be revealed. And some readers might be like, I saw that coming. And others will be like shocked as the character is shocked. Yeah. And so that's quite fun for me that I can know way more than my characters because I'm older <laughs> and you know been around a bit longer <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I'm a bit more jaded um, mm-hmm. less naive um, about some things I'm still naive about many things <laughs> though um, and I think yeah writing this kind of youthful kind of optimism is is really like invigorating actually like it makes you believe again that anything's possible and you can be anything and you can do anything because that's you know how it feels for a lot of these young people and it's great and and I want to help them hold on to that but maybe prepare them for some of life disappointments as well Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) so you know like I kind of like let some stuff happen that's disappointing and upsetting to my characters but I still show that it it will be okay even when the the sad and difficult stuff happens you know mm. i try and like reassure uh, my reader that there's going to be a happy ending um it might not be the ending you expect but people are going to be better off at the end than they were at the beginning so that's kind that of like compared to your adult learned. writing do you think like or your um, more general yeah i can poetry. just leave things hanging with adult writing with poetry in particular, you kind of just show a moment and you don't necessarily conclude it. You don't have to show the consequences. You don't have to have a moral. You don't have to kind of like um, even like feel responsible for how it's interpreted. Like I can leave things ambiguous when I'm writing for adults. I can nod to things that adults will understand, but like, you know, and or maybe you'll only understand if you've had a very specific experience and then it's up to the reader to research or to to ponder what, what the hell I'm talking about. Mm. Whereas with young people, I feel like I owe it to them to explain new concepts. And mm. um, so, you know, if I'm bringing in things to do with, you know, you know, if I'm talking about internalised racism or if I'm talking about privilege, white privilege or these, I want to try and explain them because, you know, it might be for some readers the first time they're seeing mm. these these terms and so I want to I want to kind of um spell it out so I might have one character not know what that is and ask what what are you talking about and then they explain it and then it's kind of explained to the reader if they didn't know so those kind of things are fun for me because you know I do like to preach a little Mm -hmm. but like I don't like to hammer people on the head with that stuff but I I kind of find ways to to put it in there in a kind of like conversational kind of easy tone you know or sometimes I've got characters angry at one another and that then it comes out in a little rant and mm. it's great because like the rants in the voice of a character you and you can decide whether or not that's me ranting or not <laughs> it's this really interesting minute moment in black flamingo i think it's is his friend michael's friend daisy is it 
where yeah where she um yeah she's um she's dealing with lgbt stuff herself but but is homophobic mm-hmm. towards michael at a particular point yeah. which is a really interesting moment of the book for me and i think that's a really interesting example of what you've just been talking about yeah daisy was a really interesting character to to write and she's like a composite of a few people i've known but like she's mixed race but white passing and she's she's a lesbian but like is straight passing and not ready to be out and and kind of has hang-ups even though she's got a gay best friend she doesn't you know want to go to the gay club with him or she wants to go but she wants to like not get hit on by girls but she secretly does want to get hit on by girls (laughs) and there's a lot going on for her and um I try to write her with a lot of kind of um empathy and and Mm. kind of like show her struggling and doing her best and being a good friend to Michael and supporting him through the things that she also need support with um and so it's interesting but she's not asked for that help or support and she's not ready to face those things until later in the story Mm. and you know a lot of people related to Daisy and a lot of people root for that friendship and you know it was really important for me to give that that story a kind of uh a journey you know because when Daisy goes you might think she's gone for good and like and it was really fun to kind of like think about how she'd come back into the picture and and um yeah just write that how do friends make amends because friendship breakups are actually really brutal sometimes and I wanted to represent that um and I think I do that in both my YA books like there's some friendship turmoil um you know and the second novel is more of a romance but the friendship stuff is also super super important to me because I think that's you know one of the main you know struggles for young people is like what group of friends do I fit in with or like if you've got a best friend that can be really fraught sometimes as well and like you know moving from friendship groups or trying to find people a bit more like you if there's you know if you're not quite like the group that you're you found yourself in and so yeah you have to figure out a lot about yourself um as a young person and it doesn't stop mm. does it <laughs> like, yeah. but... I, I mean, particularly that period of life where you just become aware that I'm changing and maybe this and you're changing and growing into what you want to be but maybe the friendship is that going to survive mm. this changing and maybe mm-hmm. it will maybe it won't you know it's mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. it's such a painful thing to come to terms with but and like you say it doesn't really stop no <laughs> how do you all kind of reflect on your teens do, do you guys write about your teens in your poetry very much oh man we're getting asked the question do we do we do we do that <laughs> this was not part of the agreement <laughs> yeah. so i'm gonna pass it to hannah first oh gosh um i mean we've got to stop bullying hannah about our teenage oh, poetry mate. yeah i passed hannah was shit but she thought she was amazing and that's like how how we got through to like practiced enough to be good now um i (laughs) um i have written occasionally about some like very specific like one particular mechanic in a friendship um which it took me like nine years to come Mm. back to it and be like oh i see what was happening there and i've got some wisdom now um broadly Mm. not i don't man I'm I'm starting to go sort of deeper and more personal in the like less flattering and less easily packageable bits of my biography in my writing, but I'm still not sure what to share um, because <laughs> yeah it it gets it gets weird fast and it gets like I don't know how universal some of it is. There's some stuff that's definitely universal, and there's some stuff where it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, this this takes a lot of explaining, and I've probably lost half my audience by the time I've. Yeah, I don't know. I'm 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 still 
musing. Starting starting to look at it, but not really okay. writing about it a lot myself. Yeah, I think I spent a lot of time running away from my teenage years in a lot of ways and being like, no, I live in London now and I'm so <laughs> cool and I hang out with poets. I don't need to talk about that. Um, and kind of I'm sort of trying to circle back to some of the things there and realising how much some of the things are still with me, having different perspective on that sort of thing. Um on some of some of the the ways I was feeling um I tried at one point to kind of write what would it be like to have teenage me follow me around Ooh. in my house at one point <laughs> that's it's still, definitely a poem, it's still half a poem and what would what would she make of stuff and she'd probably say something terribly hippy dippy and patronizing to my husband um and he'd say something crushing to her I should think that sounds like inner child work gone haywire <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, right. um yeah, I'm, so I'm still kind of picking that scab, I think. Uh, I'm not mm. ready to do it in public yet, I think. What about you, Laurie? I just love being an adult. It's so much better than being a kid. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, can, I've got no nostalgia you for like. at all. Like, <laughs> if you want to eat chocolate for breakfast, you can eat chocolate for breakfast. It's great. Not that I do that very often, mm. but, you know, like, um, I don't know. I've got a couple. Um, one that's like a haiku that is about a teen thing, but... I don't know. I think I maybe wasn't as observant as a teen as I try to be nowadays. Like, I mm. kind of just, just kind of try and write about stuff that happens, which sounds dumb, but yeah. like that, that's sort of my what I do with my poetry. And I maybe just wasn't the most observant at the time. I'm sure there was interesting stuff going on when I was in school, but I was just too like. I want to get my GCSEs like a little goody two shoes and not getting into any kind of misadventures. <laughs> and yeah, um, God, I'm certainly like a right now nerd now, aren't I? But uh, yeah, maybe that was me as a team. Dean was like, I'm going to I'm gonna, like, school, go on my like, little drag journey. And I was like, no, I'm going to focus on my... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. I, I didn't do drag until I was 30, but I wanted to have this character do drag in his teens because I wish I had. Do you know what I mean? I wish I had had the the confidence or the support or the kind of role models, um, you know, to do that at that age. So I think it was, yeah, really really special for me to be able to write a, a version of my childhood it wasn't exactly how it happened but it was definitely you know how I wished it could have been I think we've we've just just been dragging up Dean's old books but let's talk about the new stuff one of the things we were really intrigued by was the parenthesis in the title. There is still love here and sort of for listeners still is in brackets. Um, and mm. that kind of, we felt that that parenthesis kind of really captured the heart of the book. And it feels like you're tacking a lot of themes of absence by exploring the kind of the things that are left behind there. And can you tell us a bit about the process you took when writing it and sort of exploring those themes? Um, yeah, I think I'd, I'd um, experienced some losses. Um, you know, my grandfather died one of my friends died of cancer and um, not in the book, but another friend died by suicide. And so I found that like grief was a, a big theme for me. And so, you know, but it wasn't like, I didn't want to throw all the grief at it. Hence the, the kind of um, poem about my friend's suicide isn't in there, but it is in the, the kind of background, if you know what I mean. Like there is a lot of grief. There is a lot of things about mental health. There is a lot of, um, poems about kind of yeah like kind of retreating into yourself or into the arms of a lover or or a friend or a family member and like where you feel safe where is home um and home has has changed a few times you know in the in the writing of the book like so 
you know, I moved from London to Glasgow. I'm now back in London again, but like some of the poems are, you know, that time in Glasgow mm-hmm. during lockdown. Um, and so that kind of being away from my family in London and feeling even further removed from my family in Cyprus, you know, after my grandfather mm-hmm. died and and just kind of like trying to grapple with, you know, how I feel connected, whether it's like literally through, you know, using the technology we have or whether it's through like learning Greek and some of the poems feature, you know, the Greek language Mm. and some of them feature Greek dishes, um, ones that my grandma would make and and also food that my mum made for me. And um, yeah, like it was and food I've made um, and kind of revisiting moments from my um, you know, teens and, and university days as well, even, but like with this kind of distance. Um, so, you know, like I graduated university 2006. So like, it's a, it's a while ago, but like some of the things that happened there were still fresh, like, cause it was the first time I was made aware that I code switch and that like, I talk in different ways to different people. And one of my friends, uh, and housemates at uni just couldn't handle it. She just was like, but who are you? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, if you look across my, you know, two poetry collections and two novels, like language and, and kind of different vocabularies and different um, vernaculars are, are, are kind of is a, is a theme throughout the book as well. So like finding yourself and finding your voice, whether it's in, in language or, you know, in, in kind of like what you can say and to whom, um, is very important as well. But I think love was the kind of key theme for the whole book. And it's all about various loved ones, you know. So mm. my grandfather, I've mentioned Faye, who is my friend who who died of cancer. And also, you know, my partner, who's not named intentionally because <laughs> I thought it would be, he's, he's runs through so many poems that I just he's in the acknowledgements but I thought don't put his name in the poems like give him a break because <laughs> he's actually like mentioned you know as the where in some some bits he's like the, the man in the next room in other bits he's like the just referred to as you because like the poems are directly addressed to him like um well not all of them but some of them um and I think he you know really held me um through the writing of this book in particular you know and and kind of I could bounce ideas off him um, as well as the writing groups I'm in as well. So, you know, I'm a member of Malaika's Poetry Kitchen Mm -hmm. and I was also um, throughout kind of the past few years um, been a member of um, the Scottish BPOC Writers Network and their Writers of Colour group, which is run by Hannah Lavery. And so like a lot of the poems came out of workshop exercises as well, because Mm -hmm. like I go to workshops because I, I find that they yeah get me to look at things differently like rather than just sit down and force yourself to write sometimes like a prompt can really like set you set you set you off and and you kind of find a different kind of way into something that you hadn't been able to write about you Mm -hmm. know and the the poems about my friend um dying like I found you know at the time I was asked to write a eulogy for her write you know something to say at her funeral and I just couldn't do it and I couldn't find the words and I wrote a lot more than than is in the book about that experience, like being by someone's bedside as they were dying and and kind of like realising, you know, that they kind of left it too late to get treatment, like on purpose and kept it secret Mm. from us. Um, And then like seeing all her kind of family and and people come back into the picture that she'd pushed away for a while when she knew she was getting sick and, you know, everyone kind of flocks to her bedside when they 
hear the C word. And it was it was quite um, a powerful time. And there's a lot that isn't in there because I kind of felt like some stuff was still private and was hers, mm. even though I experienced it and witnessed it. It was hers. Mm. And I think she she's taken that, you know, with her. Um, but my side of it is what I decided, you know, what I had the right to tell is there in the book. And, and you know, people have already, I've done a few readings and people have already, you know, who have been in that, you know, situation. Some people for much longer, like years of, you know, being with someone who was dying of cancer, like mm. have said, you summed up a lot of the experience in, in, in those, you know, few short poems. And I was just like, yeah, but it took like a long time to, to find which, which the right words to say in the first place. And then the, the, the words that felt like mine, you know, um, to say publicly, you know, yeah. and ones that I just needed to write because I, I kind of just needed to, to articulate it. And it reminded me of being that teenager again, that kind of didn't know how to talk about things and had to write them down before yeah. he could, you know? And so yeah. I felt like I kind of came full circle with this kind of collection to kind of wire, right. Because I had these things that I just, you know, wasn't able to talk about for, for quite a while in an, any articulate fashion anyway. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, a, it was an interesting process. It was like returning to, you know, old wounds and, and, and difficult things, but also being in the present moment of a pandemic. <laughs> like, so there was a lot going on. There was a lot going on. Yeah. And, and that's such an interesting dilemma there that you've mentioned kind of about sort of as a poet who, yeah, you're sharing experience with other people and you're writing your version of it down. But how mm. much of that do you feel OK to share mm -hmm. either because somebody cannot speak for themselves anymore or because, you know, that person is in your life and very present and is going to mm. say, hey, like, do I need to be front and centre here? Mm. Like, yeah, yeah, do you need to create a version of me and then share it with people? It's such mm. an interesting dilemma, like how yeah. much you share. Picking up on yeah. that is, you know, you um, how you find that version kind of goes back to Dean's point around workshops. Like sometimes you don't, you don't know the way that you're going to find the thing, like your the last poem in the collection, Memoration, as the subtitle of Fay as a Flock of Starlings. Like you've, mm -hmm. you've, Mm. Had to, you've had to find something that's given you the the way into into the poem you know yeah and a way for her to talk back to me you know mm. I I you know looking at that murmuration I, I felt like I was get receiving a message back from her and you know probably a lot of projection on my part <laughs> but it was it was it was my way of kind of letting her have the last word in the collection because she's been talked about and you know I wanted her to to talk even if it wasn't um you know her 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 exact voice and you know but I I I felt I had her blessing already but I just felt like I, I wanted to kind of represent her as well and in, in this kind of beautiful image and um yeah so that was yeah thanks for putting that one out it was it was an interesting you know poem because I felt like y y you yeah you write these things and then you kind of like I wanted to put it at first next to the other poems about Faye but I wanted to give readers a bit of space mm. before they got that poem because I felt like you know and that was um agreed with my editor Jane Kamane at Nine Arches Press and I think that's the wonderful thing about you know putting a collection together is you know then you you get another pair of eyes and 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 a really experienced person who can tell you what's working and and the order of things and also you know like just the the, the feel of the collection I I kind of laid the whole thing out 
on the floor. Like I printed every page and laid it um, at first in a circle, like, cause I felt like it was returning to something like from the beginning to the end. But then it actually, I was like, it doesn't return and it's a spiral. And so I had it like laid it out as a spiral. So it's kind of almost returning, but, but slightly different. And so, you know, the, the, the kind of the journey of the book, um yeah kind of is is a kind of almost circular one or a spiral but hopefully um yeah a, a kind of a happy spiral not like a spiral into depression <laughs> which i have spiral in or a spiral out <laughs> <laughs> yeah spiral out i guess oh that's yeah, a better spiral, like a spiral. <laughs> yeah 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 but you know it, it does acknowledge you know the the kind of the the, the difficult but it does hopefully give hope um you know and that's why you know the title was really important as well and it's funny because the title comes from a a poem that's almost you know about arguments um but like underneath the arguments there's there's a lot of love and like that's like the last poem in the collection and it's like the last line of or not the last poem the almost last poem of the collection um yeah and that's kind of that's just called when and I feel like there is still love here. It's just like saying that despite so many things, you know, there is still love here, but also the word still in brackets. Like there was so much time within the pandemic where I felt like we were in stasis, you know, like, um, and so that stillness I wanted to kind of represent in those brackets as well. Um, so it was, yeah, it was, it was, I'm glad you like mentioned the title because I kind of like, I thought long and hard about it. And I felt like it was like, yeah, this title makes sense to me. Like, and so hopefully other people will pick up on the kind of multiple meanings of the title because it was one I thought long and hard about, especially when you use a line from one of your poems as a title. (laughs) It's like, is this, you know, will people, you know, think that makes sense? Like that this is the line of all the lines in the whole collection that you chose (laughs) for the title, (laughs) but it it just, it just was. (laughs) Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's a great title it's lovely when you're talking about you, you felt like your partner was kind of something that held, held it together because it as a as a reader of of it I felt very held all the way through I felt very mm. kind of like you were there for me throughout him taking me through it mm. um mm. I read it first thing when I woke up which is a great way to read this book just <laughs> <laughs> to say oh. That does sound nice. Yeah, it's quite light touched in a lot of ways as well, isn't it? Like, even though you're dealing with some really heavy themes, like there's never Mm. a feeling of, oh God, this is overwhelming and unremitting. Do you know what? Like, (laughs) there is a a hope there. There is a forward momentum, I think, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and also, you know, I'd written a lot of poems between 2013 when my first collection was published and, and now. And so it's not like greatest hits it's definitely like which poems go together and which poems tell the story I want to tell of kind of what's important to me at the moment and you know not to say any poems left out aren't important but they just didn't fit this book and it was really good to kind of work on a book and a collection I think having written two novels in between Mm. like help me understand like telling a story um even in a in a poetry collection Mm. and how that could be done um because yeah I could have just kind of gone for certain poems that would have packed a punch but then it would have felt relentless in a way um that it wouldn't have necessarily taken you on a on the journey that this one does and I think um yeah like and the poems that I've kind of held back almost are the ones that 
you know, will find another outlet or, an, or be in a subsequent collection or I'm writing a memoir at the moment and some of the themes of those poems might be picked apart and put into prose mm. for my memoir because, like, there's some things that need um, the story around them yeah. to really, like, um, work in the way that I, I think or to not just to work but to be to hold the reader in a way that isn't just like, here's a traumatic experience. Goodbye. Like, <laughs> so. Thank you. Good night. Are you sad now? Good. You enjoyed my open mic slot, didn't um... you? Yeah. <laughs> Can I have some points, please? Yeah, I think, I think I've become a more responsible writer. Like having written for young people, I just, I feel a lot more responsibility mm. for my mm. readers um, because I know some of them will be these young people that have read my two YA novels. Yeah. So I just kind of want to be a bit more, um, not, not careful in terms of like not going near subject matter, but like careful with you, the reader, mm. like, and, you know, um, and also with my, myself, you know, because once it's out there, like it's fair game for people to just, like ask me about it and mm. talk to me about it. Mm. And, you know, and so that I know is something that I'm quite sensitive to, you know, and, and quite open. Like I seem very open. And so when I talk about certain subjects, I get a lot of messages or people talking to me at events about those subjects. Mm. And so mm. I kind of have to be careful mm. what I put out. And in this collection, I made sure I only put things um, in that I was comfortable to have a conversation with you about, you know? Um, that makes sense. It's a really and interesting on point. that sort of... I, I feel like this is potentially related on, on the kind of pitching to it, having your audience in mind that much. Um, you've also taught creative writing like in and out of mm. mainstream education to adults, to young people. Mm -hmm. how, how do you go about creating something pitching pitching a workshop for an audience like you can how how do you go about working out what is the right level yeah i don't i i only show poems that i love you know i i kind of show poems that i have you know insight into or feel enthusiastic about and or i'm curious about you know i might not totally even fully know every reference or nuance of the poem but i i'm really up for like discussing it with people um so yeah taking good poems with you is like half the work um you know not um making sure people know they don't have to read out is also really important actually like so that people aren't writing to impress you or each other um and then kind of just giving various you know easy access prompts so whether it's doing some free writing whether it's building a like a a word bank before we you know even get into the writing side of things mm. and doing that together on on the board so everyone has words and phrases that they can you know use for their for their writing when they're stuck um whether it's keeping the writing time short like you know seven minutes or something like that so it's not like this big you know 20 minute writing time and come out with a masterpiece or you know whether it's kind of just like giving multiple um exercises so that it's not everything resting on this one piece and if you weren't inspired by mm. this writing prompt then you got nothing from the workshop so yeah. lots of like short um prompts is better than like you know a big big amount of time to you know write a masterpiece which no one really you know like does on on a first draft and yeah. like i've i've yeah and i think you know i i try and also just 
yeah right alongside um and then you know that really you know gets my heart racing because again like I'm I'm precious too you know and then it reminds you that everyone's feeling this pressure of like you know maybe wanting to read something out and you know um but I I think you know if I'm writing to the prompt I've set like and not taking something pre-written but actually writing something fresh is really really fun um and and terrifying and I can just really appreciate how terrifying a workshop is if you if I'm doing it to myself as well as to the participants mm. so I think all of those <laughs> things really help and um yeah like just just giving giving space for conversation and discussion but also like making sure you're like prompting people that haven't you know spoken up but in a gentle way not like putting people on the spot and forcing them um but just democratizing the space and and also making sure people know they can step out and take a break mm. if they need to, or and if it's online, turn their camera off and step away whenever they like, you know. Um, but yeah, there isn't like age and ability and setting. I kind of always go in with just something I'm excited about and and you know keep it, you know upbeat <laughs> you know and and that's not to say that people don't cry in my workshops and that people don't take it to like deep dark places like they do but I kind of have to you know make sure that people are also aware that they're going to need to take care of themselves in, in a lot of respects um and that you know we will make space to hear them and there will be space maybe you know if it's with an organization it's always like okay what's the the kind of the space, the breakout space, or what's the follow-up going to be or, or something like that. And if it's with the school, like, you know, the disclosure stuff and the safeguarding stuff and all of that has to be, Boy. you know, all figured out um, ahead of time and followed up yeah. afterwards. Um, but yeah, I tell whoever's organising, you know, like, so the teacher or the person that's booking me to do the workshop, there will be tears because there always are. <laughs> so, and they're rarely, they're rarely mine. Um, sometimes mine. <laughs> that's your advice for teachers when they book you. There will be we, tears, yeah. We like to always ask our guests if they have a piece of writing advice for our audience. So let's share. So a piece of writing advice. Um, um, I would say... I think free writing is the best thing, uh -huh. you know, ever, because you never really know what's on your mind that day. And I think even if you're not like, even if you know what you want to write on any given day, do a free write anyway, because actually it kind of gets a lot, gets a lot out. It clears the way for kind of the more kind of focused writing or the, the actual thing you want to write about. Um, so I'm always, yeah, a big fan of free writing and doing it like with a timer um so like five minutes ten minutes or you know if you want to be cruel to yourself like you know go 15 and wow <laughs> then it gets really like that final five minutes like you're just like okay I'll, I'll be honest because I think you're almost like sometimes writing almost to impress yourself in a free write and then like but if you go beyond <laughs> what you just had sitting there uh -huh. like that that kind of like extra bit that you do you might actually get something quite interesting so do you want to explain say, for our listeners yeah. who maybe don't know what free writing is what you mean by that? Yeah, so know, kind of automatic <laughs> writing where you don't stop writing for a set amount of time, whatever time you decide. You can start with a line or a phrase that you take from somewhere or you can just start, um, you know, from whatever's on your mind and just go. But you just don't stop writing. Yeah. And you if you can't think of what to write, you might even be like, I don't know. I don't know what to say or, you know, or, or you can kind of come up with a, a prompt sometimes. So like it could be like I feel or I want or and you just 
just like if you don't know what you feel or what you want you just keep writing I feel I want I feel I want until you get it and then it starts coming again um but yeah just keeping your hand moving keeping writing and and kind of like yeah just just don't stop um so that's free writing it's actually not free it's actually very <laughs> <laughs> like you're being worked very hard <laughs> yeah captivity writing you're holding yourself hostage and forcing yourself to write but we call it a free write <laughs> demanded writing so, yeah <laughs> amazing so um, before we ask you for another poem to sort of play yourself out is there anything you want to plug or let our listeners know about that's coming up with you or where they can find out more about you so yeah i think people will be able to see me um in person at a few events coming up um so i know i'm going to be in coventry on the 24th of october at wordplay um i also know i'm going to be at push the boat up festival in edinburgh on the 6th of november um i'm going to be doing an online reading on i believe the 4th of November for Aldborough Festival as well um so yeah and and if you want to book me to do a reading get in touch oh I'm also going to be at Tottenham Literature Festival um on the 14th of November and that's with um an anthology I'm in called More Fire which was Ooh. um edited by Kayo Chingonye and it's uh, black British poets um and so yeah it's it's really exciting to be in that because it's just such a, a stellar group of people that Kayo's pulled together to be in that anthology so um yeah so so also check out that anthology um and um also yeah it gets there is still love here because that's my my newest baby and um I want people to love her because I think she's beautiful I don't know how my baby got gendered but that just happened <laughs> it's also it's a it's a very pretty cover <laughs> like I know you shouldn't judge books but it is pretty it is a pretty cover it helps you you shouldn't judge a book by its cover but it does help if it has a good cover and this one does have a good cover it's out on Nine Arches Press at the minute and on yeah on the cover it's a, a kind of an image that's kind of from a poem um, and also a poem that's going to be made into an animation. Um, so Two Black Boys mm. in Paradise um, is being currently made into a stop motion animation um, by oh, One Six Studios. Yeah, and we've got funding from the BFI. And so, yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, so, yeah, then if you've not seen the image, look it up and you can see and maybe you can like picture it when I share this final poem so I'll, I'll read two black boys in paradise because I think that's um that's one that's kind of yeah like come from more of a imaginative place um it was commissioned by the Courtauld gallery and I I kind of it was my response to the Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden um in a in a painting I saw um there and I just um wanted to imagine two black boys being in Eden, so this is two black boys in paradise. They won't be here forever, maybe just as long as this poem. These two black boys in paradise. Two black boys, can you see them? These two black boys are free. These two black boys are happy. Black boys are real boys. Black boys are not just little men. Do you believe black boys are real, like for real, for real, real black boys feel. These two black boys are a healing. Did you poison the apple already? Did you dig up the tree? Are you trying to plant these black boys in the ground? Did you call them apple thieves? Did you call the police? There are no police in paradise. 
There are no white people in this paradise. The two boys in this poem have black boy names. They have grown up now, but their names still suit them. Masculinity has not been required of them. They are in love with each other and they are in love with themselves. One kisses the other's Adam's apple. They don't make babies. Maybe paradise is just meant for two people at a time. Maybe it will be two black girls in paradise next time. Maybe they don't have to be boys or girls. Maybe it will be you in paradise with that person you have in mind right now. This month's book is Witch by Rebecca Tomas, chosen by Hannah. So Hannah, why did you choose this book? So I looked at my stack of to read and half read pamphlets and almost all of them are by people I know. And this is one of the ones, few that wasn't. <laughs> um, so that's uh-huh. part of how I picked. Um, I, I spotted this in a bookshop, I think around Christmas time last year. And um, people who know me will know that I um, uh, extremely like uh, witchy vibes, for lack of a better term. <laughs> uh, dark cottage Tis the core. season as well. Shawls and bundles of herbs and a cauldron and a roaring fire and just feeling wise and like I know the names of trees. Um, so for that reason, I was I was drawn to this like title cover it's a bright like neon pink and it's um cover and it says witch on it it stood out on the uh, bookshelf um and then when i started reading it it hit a really weird place for me um i think me and laurie both tend to like tend to like poems where you absolutely know where you're going if that makes sense if you like stopped at any one point and said what's happening here you would have a very clear narrative and this is not that. <laughs> this is like jazz. <laughs> um, it's it's a strange mix. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I don't know if I love it, but it's a very different way of writing poetry to what I like and what I do. And also, I think I also... So for all my kind of dark cottagecore vibes... That was a taster for our Book Club mini-episode, which will be out later this month, wherever you get your podcasts. Now it's time for the notice board, where we spotlight some opportunities to look out for, where you can perform your work or submit it for publication, and also just stuff that we think is cool. Rebecca, do you want to kick off? Yep. Uh, So first up in the category of stuff that is cool, and I want to promote because I have a slight vested interest in it. Uh, So Process, which is the night that Tyrone Lewis and Kayla Martell Feldman run in Hackney last Tuesday of every month. Really nice, really nice vibe, really nice venue. They now have a zine, which Kayla has toiled long and hard to put together, and it looks really good. And yeah, it's basically a magazine, and they're trying to do it, I think, seasonally, so effectively quarterly, and one will be featuring poets from the featured artists they've had during the sort of during the previous kind of few months. And then one will be from people who've done their open mic. They will ask for submissions from their open mic. And yeah, and they've got the first one out. And I featured at it a couple of months ago. So I've got a poem in there. So, you know, Yay. do check it out. Search for Process Productions on mm. Facebook or just Google it. And uh, yeah, if you're about, you can find a copy of it. If you go to the night, you can buy a copy for £3. 
and um, yeah, it's just, but it's also just a lovely thing. And I think that that whole thing about kind of um, capturing and recording and preserving elements of the scene, uh, and so this is an, mm. another way of doing that, which I think is really lovely. And it's just it's mm. a really nice little product. So good job, guys. Nice. Then, as I've already mentioned, my next one is uh, the Verve Poetry Night um, at the Glee Club in Birmingham. So it's not really a comedy venue. Um, and they're having a quarterly night. This is the second one. It's coming up on Tuesday, the 11th of October, 2022. And um, it's uh, Selena Gordon headlining Repeat Beat Poet Elizabeth McGune, Priyanka Josh, and hosted by Sam J. Grudgings, um, who is a lovely person and great poet as well. So just a fantastic lineup of just, yeah, brilliance. Uh, so I'm going to go along to that because it's going to be good. Uh, show starts at 7 p.m. Um, and you can purchase tickets from the Glee Club website if you go and look for Glee Club Birmingham. Um, would recommend. And if you go, say, say hello to me. <laughs> uh, I'm the one with the weird witchy white streak in her hair. Nice. Um, so, yeah. And then uh, last up, uh, Neon Magazine is open for submissions. Is that still on the theme of mach- machines? It is. Rebecca? So they've got two themes coming up. Um, they say they prefer darker pieces, especially those with an element of the surreal or speculative, but are open to anything and like to be surprised. Um, most of the magazine issues are themed. They're currently looking for submissions on the following themes, machines, um, and those poems should be in by the 15th of January 2023. So you've got a little while on that one. Uh, and then the one after that is childhood, and the deadline for that is the 15th of June 2023. Um, so even longer. Uh, feel free to interpret these themes in any way you like. Submissions with only a loose or tenuous connection to the theme are still very welcome apparently so uh, yes go nuts and see then how you can tie your poem back to robots or children (laughs) Um, that sounds like a fun challenge a little bit of mental gymnastics Um, so they do pay for contribution as well Um, so for prose it's 2p a word poetry 20p per line uh, uh, minimum payment of £10 per contributor which is nice Mm. Um, so you really want to make a long poem to to really well, this this is why like um, Dickens stuff is so wordy right because he was getting paid by the word Um, that's why it's so verbose um, you need Anthony and Axaguri to send one in. Um, so yes, and uh, yeah, uh, up to six poems can be submitted. They welcome simultaneous submissions. Uh, so if you go to uh, neonmagazine.co.uk forward slash guidelines, you can see all that information there. Uh, so yeah. Um, Hannah, what have you got for us? Um, I've got one that I mentioned previously, but um, I now know what the deadline is. The deadline is Halloween Mm -hmm. for the Disabled Poets Prize, which is a new initiative. Mm -hmm. They want to hear from any disabled and deaf uh, poets. Uh, So that is disabledpoetsprize.org.uk. And the other thing I wanted to do was give a shout out to the very nice uh, MA student who has produced a film and a piece about mudlarking um so if you go to her website hannahmayharding.com forward slash we who collect um then you can see uh her piece about the the weird psychology of uh of treasure hunting through rubbish on the banks of the Thames and you can hear a familiar voice um talking (laughs) about it in amongst a few other people she interviewed Nice. Is it the voice of the mud or the voice of the lark? I probably sound more like mud than lark when I was being interviewed (laughs) 
while housebound with COVID <laughs> sounded more like a posh boy yawning than usual. And I usually sound like a posh boy yawning. So <laughs> when I first started hearing myself recorded, I was like, oh shit, I'm, I, I actually deliberately raised my register very slightly so that I wasn't quite at the back of the throat. Sorry, what have you got for us? I got a few things for you this month. Um, so the first one, uh, we've got a couple of submissions opportunities that I've, I've maybe put in a submission for. So maybe I shouldn't plug Woo! them because I'm going to ruin my chances. But uh, <laughs> let's let's plug them anyway because you're all lovely people. And the first one is After Poetry, which is after with an ellipsis, so three dots. And their website is afterpoetry.com. It's a very cool website where they uh, only publish poems every new full moon and suitably witchy suitably witchy for halloween uh and they only publish poems which are after something else so inspired by whatever inspires you so for example you might have seen a film and written a poem inspired by a film or read a book and written a poem inspired by a book they're after all your after poems and um, you can find out the full details on the website, which is afterpoetry.com. Um, and sticking with the spooky theme, the submissions are open until the 31st of October um, on Halloween, which is when they close. It sounds cool. I'm into it. Second one is uh, the Rialto are currently open for submissions. Um, I feel like I looked on the website a few months ago and it said they were open, but then they weren't. There was a little bit of confusion there, but they're definitely open at the moment for submissions. Um, all of their usual submissions guidelines are on their website, which is therialto.co.uk. They do accept simultaneous submissions um, on that, I believe. Um, so that's open at the moment. I don't know when that closes. Um, so uh, hopefully it's still open by the time this goes out. Broken Sleep. Um, books are currently uh, they've got an open call for pamphlet submissions um, and that is open until 30th of November uh, they're open for submissions of poetry pamphlets for up to 40 pages um, and you can find out all the details on their website which is brokensleepbooks.com forward slash submissions uh, they do some really cool books um, some cool pamphlets over there so uh, they're definitely worth checking out if you've got a pamphlet um, kind of in the back pocket that you're thinking of maybe bringing out in the future and finally from me rebecca has already alluded to our good friends over at process um, and their open mic but uh i should probably mention that the next one of their events which is on tuesday the 25th at rural zero in hackney i'm gonna be doing a little set which is nice um yeah my first in-person feature set probably since before the pandemic so that's quite exciting i haven't really done a few online feature sets but not done a full in-person one for a little while mm. um, and i believe i'm not sure if i'm allowed to talk about this yet but i believe it's me and kaz teague um so they did announce be... it at the last process so you are did they okay yeah. so it's all announced anyway so it's uh, it's gonna be me and it's gonna be kaz teague which is exciting um the the genesis Ooh. dream team are gonna be doing a little takeover and that's at rule awesome. zero in hackney on the 25th of october come and say hello Yay, do. And speaking of process, um, in a moment, we're going to have a poem from Jake Nathan, who performed this poem at process to play us out. But before we do that, anything you guys want to plug? Sure. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Laurie Eves Poet, L-A-U-R-I-E-E-A-V-E-S Poet, or on Twitter at Mr. Leaves, M-R-L-E-A-V-E-S. 
My book Biceps is out on Burning Eye Books or in brick red cassette form on Buried Vinyl. You can pick up both versions from my website, laurieves.com, L-A-U-R-I-E-E-A-V-E-S.com and stream the audio version wherever you stream audio. And also, other plug, is Process on the 25th in Hackney Mm -hmm. at 7.30pm in Rule Zero. Hannah? Um, I am Hannah Chutzpah on all of the social media platforms. Chutzpah is C for Charlie, H for Hotel, U for Umbrella, T, fuck it. Chutzpah, C-H-U-T-Z-P-A-H. Uh, I keep the spelling nice and easy and simple, and that is still easier than my government name. Um, I have also recently, uh, uh, Insight, the uh, LGBT night that I host, um, is now on three of the major social media platforms so there's insight poetry page on facebook but you can also if you look for insight cabaret insight as in insight to riot not as in deep emotional insight um with a c insight with a c uh insight cabaret on twitter and instagram um we are new and growing but um yes that that is where to follow where the latest uh of your favorite free london's longest running lgbt plus spoken word night Amazing. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and TikTok at uh, at Rebecca K Cooney on Instagram as at any name but Becky, uh, and on Facebook as Rebecca Cooney dash Poet. Uh, if you could uh, follow the page rather than add me as a friend, that'd be great. I've had a few people add me as a friend, and I don't know if it's off this, which is very lovely. But I'd rather kind of like Twitter and Instagram. I'll happily interact with anybody. Mm. Facebook, I tend to keep a bit more in real life people. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, the uh, Facebook page is there. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram as at Dead Darlings Pod, Facebook as Dead Darlings Podcast, and you can email us at deaddarlingspodcast at gmail.com. If you've liked what you heard, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, particularly Apple Podcasts, and help us spread the word. Before we share Jake's poem with you, I just want to say thank you to him for letting us showcase his work. Um, thank you to Dean Atta for joining us. Thank you to my co-hosts, Laurie and Hannah, to Texas Radio for our theme music, and of course, to you guys for listening. Bye! Bye! Bye. I wish that every time I farted, you hear it and smell it, but I have no idea where it comes from. I wish that every time you eat scrambled egg, you feel a little crunch of shell and it puts you right off. I wish that all full sugar drinks taste like no added sugar to you so that you never get that sweet little treat. I wish that no matter how long you leave the tea bag in, your tea tastes weak. I wish that all your fizzy drinks taste flat and the dingbats and impacts are your only font choices. I wish that you'd say you too Every time a waiter tells you to enjoy your food. I wish that you never find a hat that suits you. Your jeans always feel tight and the light from your phone screen is always too dim or too bright. I wish that restaurants are always sold out of your first choice meal and the heel of every shoe you own rubs. I wish your skin will never tan because mine doesn't and why should you get to look bronzed? I wish all your poos are runny, your breath smells funny and your sunny days are always slightly too warm. I wish for storms on your birthday and what you crave in the worst way to be discontinued and never sold again. I wish your social media feed is full of spoilers and you always find out who wins Bake Off before you watch it. I wish you read this poem 
and know it's about you, but no one believes you. 